All right, guys. Um, g'day. Uh, my name is Jacob. If I haven't met you before, it's great to be up here um, being able to look at this part of the Bible with you all today. Um, and I don't know how you're feeling about getting ready to kind of reflect on these things. Uh, if you're reading along with Jez, you'll see that one of the most common words in there was, was hate or, or, or being hated, um, which isn't typically a particularly easy or nice thing to be talking about. Uh, when, when Gav asked me if I wanted to preach in this half of John uh, or what I wanted to speak on, I said, yeah, I want to speak on John uh, 15. Um, I actually got the passage wrong. I was thinking of a different passage. I didn't really realize what was in this one. And then I opened up, I was like, oh, no. What if, but I didn't want to go back on it and tell him I meant something else. So, so we're looking at it. And, and, it's, and it's challenging. Um, these words that Jesus speaks here are some of the, I guess, the most difficult or the most confronting that he, that he ever really says. Um, and so before we start, um, I want to pray. And, and, and if, you, if you want to pray uh, along, uh, that, that in this time, we'd be really open to, to hearing what God has to say to us. Uh, that this next you know, 30 minutes wouldn't just be a, uh, just going through the motions, but we'd be actually open to see what, what God might have for us uh, in these words. So I'm going to pray now, um, and so you can pray along with me. Heavenly Father, we want to, we want to take your word seriously. Um, we want to take seriously the parts that aren't necessarily easy or comforting uh, necessarily on a first glance. Uh, we want to take seriously the parts that, that confront us, uh, that, that, that cause us to question um, how we're living, uh, what our life is like, and, and whether we're following you. And I just pray that, that right now um, you truly would speak to us, that you'd be preparing us to listen, uh, and that, that through this we might be strengthened uh, to stand firm for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you know me, uh, you'll know that I'm generally someone who likes to be prepared. Um, if I have the, the option to know what I'm going to be in for, I'll, I'll choose to take that. I'm not a surprise person at all. If I'm going out for dinner, um, I've always go on the website, check the menu before I get there so I can kind of have the right expectations. Uh, if I'm going to watch a movie, I'll, I'll read the IMDb reviews, uh, you know, the, the, the crowd reviews, the critic reviews, uh, even a little bit of a synopsis, I, I, I want to know what I'm in for when I watch a movie. Uh, I'm an avid weather checker. Uh, you can normally ask me what the weather will be for the next three days and, and be pretty confident that I'll, I'll be aware of that. Uh, and even if I, if I find out I have to go somewhere in a few days' time that I haven't been before, I'll normally check Google Maps a few days in advance to make sure I've got the right route, the right uh, time to decide to do it. Um, some would say that I've got a pretty serious case of OCD, uh, but I just hold to the Scouts motto, right? Always be prepared. And there are times when I think preparation uh, is more important than others, though. Um, the other week, I threw out to my family the, the idea that for my dad's 60th later in the year, as a family, we should go on this four-day hike through the mountains in New Zealand. Now, I love hiking. Uh, my family doesn't particularly, so it was more of a gift for me. Uh, but, but surprisingly, they all said yes to it. They, saw the, they said they'd be up for doing this hike. Now, the walk we're looking to do is called the Milford Trail. Uh, Graham's told me all about it. He's walked it before. Um, and it's meant to be one of the most beautiful, picturesque parts of, of New Zealand. Um, we haven't even booked it yet, but I've already read everything on the internet there is to read about this walk. And I know that the rest of my family aren't going to do this. They're gonna, they've, I've showed them a photo of one of the views. They're like, great, we're in. But that's as far as they're going to go. So I've taken it upon myself to make sure they know what they're up for. Um, they need to understand that this walk that they're agreeing to, day one is 16 kilometres uphill the whole way. You're going to be carrying on your back everything you're going to need for the next four days, all your food, all your clothes, all your everything. Um, 
For most of the year, it rains roughly every second day in this part of New Zealand, so there's a good chance that you're doing that walk uh, soaking wet. The accommodation throughout the hike is you stay in these cabins with 30 strangers that have also been walking and hiking and sweating all day and haven't had a shower. Um, and, and this is what it's going to take to do this walk. Uh, it's going it's to be hard, it's going to be painful at times. And I'm convinced it's going to be worth it, but, I, but I'm trying to make sure my family are kind of on board with the full picture. That they don't just kind of say yes, and then we get all the way over there, and then they're kind of angry at me and disappointed and let down at, at what the experience really is. And I think this is the mentality of what Jesus is doing in this part of the Gospel of John that we've been looking at the last few weeks, that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. He's, he's in this method of preparing his followers for what it is going to look like to, follow, to go down this journey of following him. Uh, we've seen that the call that Jesus gives people is the call to follow me. It's not, uh, Jesus doesn't say, I'll pray a prayer. He doesn't say, you know, call yourself a Christian. He doesn't say, you know, be part of a church. His call is follow me. And, and for those of us here who call ourselves Christians, what we need to be doing through this is, is asking the question, is that what I'm doing? Um, am I actually following Jesus in, in the way that he calls me to? For those of us who are here who are still investigating Christianity and, 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 and working out whether this is for you or what it would take, um, this is helpful. This, this is a chance to get up front what it would take to follow Jesus. So you can make a wise and good decision about that. And in this passage, we see some of the most challenging words Jesus speaks, which is, quite frankly, that following him will mean being hated. And, and this is challenging and because I think a lot of the time when we think about what it means to be a Christian and our expectations of what the Christian life will look like, we don't think of being hated. I think most of us who are Christians certainly would expect there to be times of awkwardness um, for believing things that other people don't. We might expect to be thought to be out of touch with what's going on around us. But I think most of us, myself included, most of the time believe that if we just play our cards right, we'll be able to be Christians and faithful to Jesus, and at the same time, be pretty much liked by most people around us. Um, and, and I think it's because we know there are things about Christianity that are attractive. Um, Christianity can sort of be portrayed in a cool way. Uh, social justice is it's quite, quite cool. Uh, people like the idea of helping the poor and doing things for others that are less fortunate. Uh, the Bible's big on about this. Jesus calls his people to be generous to the poor and, and to be sacrificial and without time and, and, and servant-hearted. And when people see that the church does that, they, they, they like it. Uh, we know that as the church, we've got a depth of community uh, that most Australians don't seem to be able to find in, in an age of shallow social media relationships. And there are people that warm to the community we, we have here at City Light. Um, most of the time, and in, in, in theory, as Christians, we love people regardless of their, their race or religion or background or personality or appearance or social status. Uh, we, we offer an unconditional love, which again is something that, that people love the sound of and they, and they like experiencing it. As Christians, we've, we've got philosophically substantial answers to many of life's big questions. Uh, what happens when you die? How do you process and, and walk through suffering? How do you develop a moral framework that, that allows you to make good decisions about what you do and don't do in life? How do you come to the point of feeling like you've got a purpose and a meaning? And, and these things are true. And so I think when we look at that, a lot of the time we can think, 
all we've got to do as Christians is if we can show the world that, that we have all these things, this community, these answers, that people won't be able to help but like us. Um, if we just make sure we paint Christianity in the right light, no one's going to hate us, they're going to love us. And so when that doesn't happen, and when we sense maybe a coldness or a hostility from someone, when they find out what we believe, we, we think something must be wrong. When we tune into the news and we see a, uh, a public, you know, a celebrity who's a Christian or a, a Christian politician or someone who's advocating maybe for scripture in, in schools or, or a church that's kind of made a public statement on something, and when we see that the media tearing these people apart, our gut response can be like, like you idiots, you're ruining it for the, for the rest of us. We've, we've put so much effort into showing that Christianity is relevant and, and cool and, and attractive and, and wholesome, and you've gone and said this thing, which may be straight out of the words of Jesus' mouth, and now people hate us. Don't ruin it for us. And I'm not talking about when, when Christians do something that's immoral or, or abusive or, um, or corrupt or anything like that, but when, there are times when, when hatred comes simply from saying what Jesus said. And we feel like something's wrong when that happens. What we see in this passage is that a negative response from the world, even to the point of a hatred for being Christians, doesn't mean that something's gone wrong, but it actually is part and parcel with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so what I want to do for the next little while, as we we look at this passage, is to show two things. I want to show why we can expect to be hated, and I want to think through how it is that we respond to that reality. So firstly, why, why should followers of Jesus expect to be hated? The first thing we need to know is that followers of Jesus should expect to be hated because Jesus himself was hated. The first line that we had read, it'll come on the screen, says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now this, again, might be surprising for some people. When you think, uh, you, know, you put a picture of Jesus in your head, you don't normally think of, yeah, that guy that everyone hates. If you went out onto Darling Street right now, walked down the road, went up to strangers, said to them, what do you think of Jesus? Simple question. You'd probably get a range of responses. You'd get some people like, yeah, good guy. Some people say, oh, I don't really have an opinion. Some people would say that they believe that he's the son of God or a great teacher. Some would say that he doesn't exist. Um, some would say he's relevant. You get this, this mix uh, of responses. But what I don't think you'd get much of is the response, yeah, I hate him. Um, people don't say that. Even people that generally think the church is pretty bad, aren't really a fan of religion, tend to be pretty positive towards Jesus. And I think th- the fact that we think of Jesus as a guy that's easy to like uh, shows how out of touch we are with the real Jesus. When we picture Jesus, we rarely picture a man standing before a crowd of people who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. We don't picture a man stripped naked, nailed to a cross, dying and bleeding, while a crowd of people laugh and point and jeer and relish in the fact that this guy is going to die. The world hated Jesus so much that they killed him. That's a, that's a historic fact. The question is why? Why was Jesus hated? Uh, A man who killed no one, abused no one, raped no one, started no riots, no revolutions. A man who was marked by his generosity, his care for the poor, 
his, his healing of the sick, his message of peace. Why do people hate him? And I think if you struggle to answer that question, it's because you probably aren't that in touch with the real Jesus. What we see in this passage is the reason that Jesus is hated is because he exposes the world's true sinfulness. I want to show you these verses. It'll come on the screen from verse 21. Jesus says this, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus here is explaining why it is that the world hates him. And it's confusing. He says these kind of two contrasting lines that I've kind of separated out on the next slide. Um, he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And then he says a similar thing. He says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they've seen and hated both me and my father. He's saying that something about him coming makes people guilty of sin in a way that they weren't before. And, and on first reading, you could even read it as sort of though, before Jesus came, people were all right. Jesus comes, and now they've, they've blown it. They've sinned, and they're, and they're, they're wrong. Somehow, that even he's kind of come and kind of set them up or, or framed them or put them in a situation where, where he's made them sin. Uh, but this isn't what it's saying. And we know that because already through the book of John, uh, Jesus has described the world as sinful. And we know that because the book of John is part of this wider book of the Bible, which has been describing people as sinful since basically the beginning. Just to be clear what sin is, it's a rejection of God the Father. It's to reject him in terms of relationship. So it's to say, uh, I'm not going to uh, personally commune with God anymore. I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to speak to him. It's to reject him in terms of submitting to his will. To say, I'm not going to live your way, God, but I'm going to set up my own way to live based on something else. Uh, I'm not going to kind of obey you. And it's to reject him in terms of your, your belief, to believe that he is good that he's real, that he's true. It's to say, I'm not going to believe that. This is what sin is. And so obviously, this doesn't start when Jesus comes. Uh, this is part of the human condition that we turn away from God. So what does it mean when Jesus says, well, when he comes, now they're guilty of sin. Now, now when he comes, they've got no excuse for their sin. Um, I was trying to think about how to explain this. Um, I think this might help. I want to show you a picture of me. Um, it'll come up on the screen. Uh, now, you can't see it too well. It's in the dark. That's me there. I'm in the car behind the bus. Um, and the reason I have this picture is because uh, on February 17 at, at 5.10 p.m. last year, I was in Elizabeth Street in the city in peak hour. And uh, I was behind this bus trying to turn left for, for quite a while uh, in, in, in the traffic. And I had uh, my wife and her mum and, and her sister all in the car with me. And as the light turned orange and it became apparent we weren't going to make it through the light again, Suddenly, everyone started yelling, go, 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 go. And I, and I knew, ah, look, it's, I'm not going to make this one. But the traffic's pretty slow. I don't think I'm going to hurt anyone. Um, and I'm sick of being in this traffic. I'm just going to go for it. And then as soon as I did, the big flash happens. And that feeling of regret and, and, and anger and frustration. Um, and, 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 and I was busted. Now, 
I knew it was a red light. Um, what I didn't know was that there was a camera behind me. And, uh, and $400 later, I've learned my lesson. Now, I, I use this illustration to say, um, by no means is it the camera's fault that, 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 I, that I'm now guilty of running the red light. Um, the guilt is with me. Uh, I, I knowingly, uh, I wish I could say I thought I'd make it to the orange. I, I, I guess I didn't. I knew I was, it was going to be red. Um, I made a decision, but something happens when it's, when it's caught and when you get this letter in the mail saying that we've got a photo of you that, that solidifies that guilt. Um, it, it removes the option of kind of saying, oh, it was probably orange, I probably just made it through. It removes any kind of excuse. And believe me, I tried to think of some excuses. Um, it, it doesn't work. Uh, once, once that happens, you're exposed. Um, there, there, there's no denying it anymore. I think, I think this is similar to what Jesus is saying. Um, we can lose that slide now. I've been incriminated long enough. Um, the world is sinful before Jesus comes. Um, the world is, is living in rebellion to God. But most people wouldn't say that that's what they're doing. They wouldn't say, yeah, I'm rebelling against God. They wouldn't say I'm sinning. They'd just say, oh, look, I'm living my life. Um, I'm actually cool with God. I kind of like the guy. When Jesus comes along, he, he provides this snapshot of what sin really is. Uh, he provides the evidence that people truly do not want God in their life. He enters the world, and as we've been looking in the book of John, he reveals by these miracles that he does, things that no human could do, that he is in fact God. God come in the flesh. Um, and he shows that the way you respond to him is the way that you respond to God. That he carries with himself the full authority of God the Father. And he brings a message from God. And Jesus' message is more than just nice sayings. It's more than just, I love, you know, love your enemies or, or peace be with you. He brings a message of repentance. Jesus comes into the world and he says, stop sinning, turn from your evil ways, come to me for forgiveness and start following me. He makes claims like the one that he made last week that Jeff spoke about where he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Uh, it's, it's a radical claim of exclusivity. He says, I am the way, which is to say, he's the road, he's the path, he's the only path that will lead you to a real relationship with God. Which is to say to people, if, if you are walking some other road, some other path, some other way of living, you're not on an, an alternate road, you're on the wrong road. He says the truth, which is to say that, that any belief structure or worldview that sets itself up against the claim that Jesus is God, that we are sinful and we need him, is not another truth, it's a lie. He says that he's the life, which is to say that, that life to the full in this life and the next is found only in Jesus. To not have Jesus is to miss out on life in what it's meant to be. Um, that if you don't have Jesus, you don't have true life. This is a radical claim. So Jesus comes and he says these things and he says, embrace me as the way, the truth, and the life. Repent of your sin. Accept forgiveness that will come through me and me alone and receive life and relationship with God. The call that Jesus has is, is a call to life. It's a call to being loved. But, but with that call comes accepting this reality that we need forgiveness, that we're broken, that we're sinful, and it, and it kind of brings things to a point where, where you have to either accept him or reject him. Um, there's no middle ground. You can't say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with God but not Jesus, or yeah, I'm kind of half on board with this. No, you accept that or you reject it. 
And, and what happens in history when Jesus comes with that message is that most people reject him, which reveals what was true all along, that they don't want a relationship with God. Um, they don't want to follow. They don't want to admit that they have sin. They don't want to leave this life they've built for themselves behind. Earlier in John, it puts it this way. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 19, uh, it says, And this is the judgment, that, life, that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his work should be exposed. People don't want to be exposed for who they are, and that's why Jesus is hated. Not because he's a nice guy or that it's not like okay with some of the things he said, because he reveals the true state of their heart. Now, this has implications for those who follow Jesus as well. It reveals why Christians today can also expect to be hated. The world responds to Jesus' followers in the same way that they responded to him. Uh, we'll read on in, in, in verse 19. He says this, If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is saying that something radically changes when people become a Christian in terms of how we relate to the world around us. He's saying that if we choose to follow him, there is going to be a divide between us and those around us. Now, we don't always feel this divide because physically we're, we're very much a part of the world. We, we can enjoy the same music, the same food, the same sunshine, the same activities. Uh, and, and we will all still have deep, loving friendships with people that aren't followers of Jesus. Uh, we'll have family that don't follow Jesus that we love and that they love us. But what, what this saying isn't that we, we're not going to have individual friends in the world, but what it's saying is that the world in terms of this big picture um, society is going to be kind of not compatible with the life of following Jesus. And at the heart, this is a question of lordship. Jesus calls us to be his servants, that he is our master Followers of Jesus, by definition, treat him as their Lord. And the world, by definition, does not. Our world is made up of many conflicting values and, and societies that are, that are quite different to one another, but fundamentally are all opposed to Jesus. Which means regardless of, kind of what society you're in or what, what point of history you're in, you're going to find yourself at odds if you're a follower of Jesus with the, with the main ideas that are around you. Uh, even if they're radically different to each other. Nazism and communism are, are completely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what they are for, but are both violently opposed to Christianity because they both demand that you take them as your Lord and Master. But you don't need to look to these kind of old like totalitarian regimes to see this. At the society we find ourselves in with, with mainstream secularism, uh, materialism and uh, kind of moral relativism, all these ideas that are around us, uh, resent that Christians refuse to bend to their norms and instead insist that Jesus is the king. Which means that even now today, when, when there's relatively little persecution for Christians here in Australia, we can't conform to things that our society takes for granted. We, we can't 
conform to ideas that our, our society has on, on, on abortion or on marriage or, or gender or euthanasia. We can't conform to the worldview that, that wealth and comfort is the highest good that we need to ad- achieve at all costs. We can't conform to the idea that religions are equal or that, that sin is just a simple choice that will go unchecked. And these are major things that, that people believe around us, which means we're going to feel like strangers. We're going to feel like we don't belong. And in reality, it's because we don't. We're following Jesus who was hated when he convicted the world of their sin. And the fact that we're on board with him means that we're not going to be on board with a lot of other stuff. When you start following Jesus, this world stops being your home. The people that were once your people are no longer your people, and they're going to notice that. You'll still enjoy some of the same things, like day by day, but you follow a different Lord. So given all of this, that Jesus was hated for what he said, that now followers of him are out of this world where we follow this different master and share in his fate, Jesus says it's not going to be easy. We'll read on in these next verses. Uh, John 16.1 I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus tells these people, his followers at the time, who were Jews, that going with him will mean being put out of the synagogues, which was the, the, the hub of community and relationship in Jewish culture. It's to say, if you, you come with me, you're going to be cut off from your own people. You'll be ostracized. And some of you guys here in this room have experienced this. To follow Jesus has meant being cut out of your family. It's meant being looked down upon. It, it may have meant losing friends that you once were quite close to because of your decision to follow Jesus. And I think for the most part, this is the level of, of, of hatred and persecution that, that at the moment we're going to experience here in Australia. Um, and I think we'll experience more of it. Christianity in Australia is moving into a new arena. Uh, once upon a time, long before I was born, Christianity was the norm. Uh, people didn't take it that seriously, but everyone was sort of on board with it in a sense. Uh, to go to church on a Sunday like this wasn't weird and something no one did. It was something that most people did. Most people would identify with some brand of faith. Uh, people would not think it's weird to say grace before a meal or to, or to pray. Um, it was assumed that, that, that you had something in terms of a faith. Then... A number of decades ago, Christianity changed and started to get moved to the sidelines. And it moved into this place where it was increasingly irrelevant. And I think this is what I was born into, uh, where Christianity is this irrelevant thing off to the side. Um, the, the, the Ned Flanders generation. Ned Flanders and Reverend Lovejoy in The Simpsons show what people thought of Christians in the 90s. Uh, Christians are dull, they're irrelevant, but they're not particularly a threat. They're not particularly scary. They're just kind of something to poke fun at. And I think we still live like that's what, where we're at, but, but more and more, that's not where we are now. Christianity isn't simply irrelevant. That's not how our culture views us. It's moved to the realm of being immoral. It's moved from being silly but tolerated 
to being the one thing that our culture will not tolerate. That people will not tolerate making the kind of claims that Jesus made. And we are going to feel that. If you haven't already felt it, if you continue to follow Jesus, you will. It will affect how people view you. More and more, it's, it's, it's becoming okay in our society to say, you cannot say that. That Christians should be silenced. The Christian worldview has no place to be spoken. Christianity is going to be pushed more and more into the margins. And we need to be ready for that. That's Jesus' warning. In a sense, we'll be thrown out of the synagogues. But Jesus goes even further. He says this could cost your life. And the early church, they did. They faced death. Only a couple of decades after Jesus says this, people start being killed for their faith by the authorities and the religious leaders at the time. And 2,000 years later, Jesus' words still true in so many parts of the world. It was last week that some churches in Indonesia were bombed and people were killed simply because they were Christians. Week in, week out, pastors around the world are kidnapped. Churches are burnt down. Christians are denied health care and welfare and education. And we know this, that this happens out there, but, but we don't take it seriously here in, in 21st century affluent Sydney. We assume that this prediction won't come true for well-off white Christians, basically. We think, yeah, persecution happens, but it happens in places where wars happen and places where, where poverty happens. When was the last time you thought through, are you willing to keep following Jesus if it were to cost you your life? Um, now, I, I don't expect anyone here in this room or even in our country to, to lose their life in Australia for following Jesus in the next week. But it wouldn't surprise me when you think about it to, to expect that this, this is within the realms of possibility of what would happen in our lifetime. Um, a lot can happen in a few decades. Societies have turned from tolerant to murderous towards Christians in, in many parts of the world in, in over, over the space of 20 years. But whether it is, whether we're facing a time of literal death for our faith, faith or just being outcast or cut off or despised, the question is, are you ready? Are you ready in your, in your following of Jesus to face this? Now, I just want to finish uh, by outlining three ways that we might respond to this, that Christians do respond to this reality. Uh, the th three ways being uh, that we might fall away, that we might hide away, or that we might stand firm. And so firstly, the first way we could respond to this animosity from the world is to fall away. Jesus says, I have said these things to keep you from falling away. Jesus is implying that there will be some who will begin the journey of following Jesus and yet stop when it gets too hard. Uh, either they went into it with the wrong idea that it wasn't going to be hard and it catches them off guard, um, or maybe they, they had even heard about it, but theoretically they, they thought, ah, oh, look, it's not really going to happen to me. It's not going to be that difficult to follow Jesus. And when it does, they decide that Jesus isn't worth it. It's not worth being on the edge of society. It's not worth losing this relationship or missing that promotion or losing a house or, or family or, or, or your life. And so they fall away. They either just back down, renounce their faith altogether and say, oh, I'm not a Christian, and just embrace the world fully. That's how some people respond to this. 
The other way people respond to it isn't by totally giving up the title of Christian, but they fall away by watering their Christianity down to a level that's not offensive, uh, to something that just you can kind of hold at the same time as being completely okay with everyone around you. They make up a Jesus who they can follow without upsetting anyone, a Jesus that's okay with sin, a Jesus that demands very little, a Jesus that's happy to share the throne with other gods, one who doesn't demand you commit to things like Christian community or, or sharing your faith with others, and they become followers of Jesus by name, early, by name only. And this is a tragic loss. It's tragic because Jesus is worth it. And they think that what they're doing is saving their life, but in reality what they're doing is losing it. They're giving up treasure in, in heaven for eternity, this relationship with God for, for something small now, like being liked by other people. And, and City Light's been running five years now. And in that time, we've seen literally dozens of people fall away in, in the way that's described here. Either completely, once upon a time they said they were Christian, now they don't. Or, 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 or what it means for them to be a Christian now is so far from what the Bible describes life following Jesus that they're, that they're basically gone. Because it got hard. And so I want to say to you, and I, my bet would be in this room, some of you right now are feeling this tension, this, this, this pull between Jesus following him and, and the world, and you're finding it tough. And you may be at the point right now where you're, where you're privately, you may not have even told anyone, but you're thinking about just giving up. Uh, just kind of just, just bailing on it, just, just leaving church, just, just putting an end to that, to that pressure and that pain that comes with following Jesus. And I want to say to you, if that's you, please don't make a decision alone. Um, it, is, it is a huge decision to make. If you're considering walking away from, from Jesus, come and speak to someone, someone that you trust, one of the pastors or someone in your small group or one of your friends, and just be honest. Say that you're finding it really hard. Say that you, you're going to work every day and you just feel like an outcast or you're embarrassed and people don't like you. Say you're finding it hard not to, to, to join in the world and, and to do what they do. Share it with someone so you can be helped. Jesus says it's going to happen. We need to be prepared. We need to help each other in this. So if that's you, take action today. Come and, come and speak to someone because you, you're going to need help with this. That's the first way we can respond to this hardship. The second is that we could hide away, and I think this is far more common. It's not to fall away, it's not to renounce your faith, it's not to change Jesus into something more palatable, but it's to take your faith underground and to take your faith into the private realm. It's to believe in Jesus, but make sure that no one can really see how much you believe in Jesus. So you'll go to church, and you'll even let people know you go to church probably, and, and you'll pray and you'll read the Bible and go to Bible study, but... But that's where you'll stop. You'll stop short of actively representing Jesus to the world. And I think we all do this to different extents. Um, I think it's actually the reason why we often don't really feel that hated. Uh, because we can be pretty good at, at hiding the stuff that we know that people are going to hate in us. We, don't, we let people see these positive... Well, the sides of Christianity that we, that we think are positive or attractive, but we make sure not to let out the sides of, of Christianity that we know are repelling. Uh, 
we, 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 we talk about Christianity, but we, but we hope people don't ask us what we think about hell. Or we hope no one asks us about our sex life or about what we think about Islam. When, when the same-sex marriage survey was going on, I think for a lot of us, our fear wasn't how the vote was going to land one way or the other. Um, our fear was that someone would actually ask us what we thought, um, that we'd have to talk about it, that we'd have to explain our faith. Um, with, with the last few weeks, Israel Flower being hammered in the media and you know, initially responding to a question that was asked about um, gay people, but then following it up with every, most of the subsequent tweets being just very general comments on the need of people to repent and, and, and help, full-on stuff. Uh, our, our hope can be through that, that oh, I hope no one just asks us, not to, not to say how he should have gone about it or anything like that, but we, we, just, we fear this sense that someone might associate us with that. Well, someone might ask us and we'd have to explain what we believe. I wonder, if you're not feeling particularly hated, particularly persecuted, is it because your faith is hidden? Do only a very few people know the extent to, to which you identify with Jesus? Do you ever seek to shine the light of the gospel, which, at its essence, exposes sin, requires repentance, requires forgiveness? Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should be all out shouting on the streets or putting up in tents or in insensitive Facebook posts or, um, or that we shouldn't be wise or, or relational in our approach to people because I'm, I'm all for being sensible and being loving and being kind and being relational but, but I think this is what's convicted me in this passage over the last week. That if I'm being honest, it's been a while since I actively approached someone who I know doesn't follow Jesus with the intention that I'm actually going to share the message that Jesus has for them. Um, if people come to me and ask me about it, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it, but, but how often am I actually out there wanting people to know what Jesus has to say to them? Maybe your, your whole social world is just even so dominated by Christians that you don't, have, you don't have to even hide your faith. Your family's Christian, your housemates are Christian, Friday night you hang out with Christians, Saturday night, night you hang out with Christians, you're in a Christian sports team. Um, you know, you, you, even you, you've, you've found that one Christian at work that you can kind of sit with and, and work with. Maybe we're not even in the world and we're just hiding away. I encourage you, if that's you, to, to take steps to be, to be bold with your faith, to, to, to resolve, to actually share the message of the gospel. The final way we can respond to persecution is to stand firm, which is to embrace hardship um, as those who are prepared for it. To stand firm is to not be shaken or surprised when this hardship comes, but to realize that to be hated is part of the plan. Um, so much so that there are so many parts of the Bible that you just can't get anything out of unless you're experiencing some kind of hardship as, as a follower of Jesus. Um, I found preparing this, this, this talk hard this week uh, because it seems to be speaking into a scenario that is so different to what most of us face. I remember a few years ago, I went on a mission trip to Sri Lanka. I met with some Christians who uh, were in this town with one well that had access to clean water, and, uh, which was permanently guarded by a group of uh, Hindu people that would deny anyone who identified as Christian from accessing the clean water in the well. And I think, if I was preaching to them, this would be so straightforward and simple, because this is what this passage is about. But, but for us, I think a lot of the time, we've, we've, we've separated ourselves from this hardship we're missing out on, on parts of the Bible. And I wanted to share a few with, with you to show 
just some of the riches that the Bible has for those who are, who are called to stand firm. Um, I, just, I just picked one. On, you'll come up on the screen. This amazing verses from, from 1 Peter chapter 4, where, where he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The, the New Testament in particular is written to a people who are on the margins to encourage them to joyfully stand firm. To know that this is part of the plan, that we are sharing the sufferings with Christ who loves us, who has a plan for us, who has prepared a place for us. To know that part of suffering and yet standing firm is to glorify God because what that communicates to the world is that we have something so amazing, so good, so beautiful that we wouldn't lose it for anything. We're not going to trade Jesus for people thinking well of us. We're not going to trade Jesus for, for, for success or, 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 or to be able to fit in. We've got something so much better than that. That we have something worth losing everything for. That we have Jesus. That we have him and, and he loves us and to be able to know that. That we are loved so deeply by Jesus, so unconditionally, that we would rather burn than deny him. I believe we're entering a new phase where we're going to have opportunities to point people to Jesus. Historically, the church has thrived and grown when it was pushed to the absolute margins of society. We need to be ready. So I just want to leave you with two practical steps for being ready for this suffering when it comes. Firstly, don't neglect to grow in intimacy with Jesus. To to be able to withstand hardship for Jesus' sake, we need to be close to him. We need to know why we're suffering. We need to know what we're, what we're suffering for, which is this amazing person of Jesus and the message that he brings. I think I've been convicted lately that this is one area of life in our church that, that a lot of us struggle with, that we don't actually have so, time carved aside regularly to be deepening our intimacy with Jesus. We need to work at that. We need to commit to that, and together we need to help each other with that, to have time daily where we're reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, we've got resources at the back every single week. We've got stuff in our Facebook group to help you read the Bible and grow. We've got studies in the book of John to have time to deepen our knowledge of Jesus. And secondly, we need to grow in community. We need to surround ourselves with our family of brothers and sisters here at church. That we might have people around us who love us and care for us and walk with us even if the rest of the world rejects us. Have you given the time that is needed to have a network of brothers and sisters that know you and care for you deeply? Now, this isn't a plug for the weekend away because most of you have signed up, but I want to get you thinking about the opportunity we have next, next weekend for both of these areas, growing in intimacy with Jesus and also growing in community. Next weekend, we're going to be hearing four talks on this amazing doctrine of adoption, that God loves us so much that he would make us his children. Start preparing your hearts now for that. Be praying that next weekend God would speak to you and encourage you and refresh you in a way that maybe you haven't been refreshed in a long time. You would walk away feeling close with God and knowing just his love for you. And also next weekend we have an opportunity 
to growing community here as a church? Would you be ready to come and actually speak with people? Be ready to, to make new friendships? Uh, to, to, to actually look for people who might be there who actually need to be loved, who have come out of a hard week or a hard season that need to be cared for? That as a church, we might be strengthening one another to be willing to stand firm for Jesus. I'm going to pray now that as we, as we go out, yeah, God would be strengthening us uh, to this end. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this word, which is often hard to hear. Uh, this word that reminds us that following you will not always be easy or straightforward, but at times it will be hard. And Lord, I just pray that you would be be building us up and strengthening us and preparing us to stand firm. Lord, if there are any in this room who are on the brink of giving it up, I pray that you would not allow them to leave today without doing something about that. They would have the strength and the courage to share that they're struggling, that they're finding life hard, and that we as a church would be willing to support them and love them and care for them in this. Lord, I pray for those of us, myself included, who find it hard to be forward and public with what I believe and what we believe, that you would give us courage knowing that the message of the gospel, although it is hard to hear, is the only message of life, the only message that can bring salvation. Help us be confident people. Lord, have us ready to stand firm. You don't, we don't know what, what is in store this week or in this life, but you do, and I pray that you would not allow us to fall away. I pray you would make this a place where we are strengthening each other more and more each day and each week to stand firm for you. Reminding each other of your love for us, of, of the intimacy we get to experience with you and the community that we have here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to take a minute now